0: Welcome Welcome to to the the Time Time Bandits Bandits Minute. Time Bandits Minute is a podcast in which Duncan Shields and Curtis Blaze analyze and scrutinize the 1981 Terry Gilliam movie, Time Bandits.
1: One minute at a time. Well, this is Minute 5. This is uh, where Kevin's room is untouched and he gets yelled at by Dad. (laughs) <laughs> and that's why we hate him, well, yeah, that's why we're supposed to hate him. That's a, another thing we were talking about earlier, but so we get so Kevin comes out from under his blankets, and his room is pristine, and there's no rampaging night anywhere. It's dark again, and he's fine, and uh he turns on his bedside lamp and goes to investigate. <laughs>
0: Hey, everybody, this is Curtis coming back from the future. Uh, We loved talking to Alan so much that we forgot to introduce him. On our show today is Alan J. Sanders, host of the award-winning Wilder Ride podcast, The Wilder Ride, and an on-air personality at AM 1450 and FM 100.3 WBHF. Welp, back to creation
1: now i wanted to talk a little bit about the 1950s robot toy that he sees that he's got on his bedside table there it looks uh it looks specifically like an electron model a type of model called electron that's been copied over the years into like hundreds of different types the chest cavity opens as it walks and it lights up like it's shooting lasers or death rays or something. Now it's hard to get a read on what this model is specifically. It doesn't look like tin. A lot of those old models. It looks were, like plastic. Yeah, it looks like plastic. And it also it doesn't have the antenna on its ears. And it's I can't tell if the chest compartment it looks like it might just be a digital clock that maybe isn't turned on right now because I don't see any numbers on it, but it's got that kind of off red chest plate. Right. So I'm not sure if it's a sort of a, 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 a bedside clock that looks like one of those old toys or if it's a literal one of those old toys. Because we do see a different type of robot that walks around uh, in later minutes. But there you go. They're sought, they're sought after by collectors all over the world. The one in. Uh, yeah, they've been around since the 40s and the 50s. They started in Japan, if what I'm reading is correct here, but then there was a, a pretty big American market for them later. That kind of blocky, square head, you know, transistor dial eyes. That You know, you, you see it like in the Sky Capit in the World of Tomorrow, that same kind of aesthetic. First they started blocky, and then you got into like gort from uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and you get that kind of sleek dull silver wind tunnel design kind of look to all the sort of the Gernsback continuum to all the uh, buildings. And, you know, you get those lemon juicers that look like an invading robot from Mars tripod (laughs) because it's got this beautiful teardrop shape and it's all chrome and it has got these three pointy legs on it. There was that. It sort of transitioned from the blocky robot on Kevin's bedside table into this other kind of smooth, sleek, uh, you know, design sets. Terry Gilliam, Terry Gilliam really seems to be more in the in the blocky kind of crenelated, lots of detail, you know that kind of stuff.
0: Well, it's got the one foot up that has the wheels underneath of it that make it appear to yeah. walk. So I wonder if it's actually that kind or if it's a knockoff. Yeah. Because instead of antennas on the side of its head, it has like the Devo helmets. That's right. Yeah. Sticking out the side.
1: I think it's a knockoff. I think the conclusion I have to come to is that it's a it's a sort of a knockoff, like an '80s knockoff. It's pretty cool when you look it up. He walks past. He and when he walks over to his, he he gets up. He looks over at the wall, and it is now just a wall. It is no longer eighteen acres of forest. And uh, he goes past like another two hundred drawings that he's got on the wall here. It looks like tanks and spaceships and all these kind of things. He's got a shelf here. That he walks past, which has a bunch of like board games and maybe some models. Looks like maybe some rocket models, uh, possibly like a shuttle model or something like that. And He's it...
0: got a Lego shuttle.
1: Mm-hmm. It's hard to make out. Again, you want these. Uh, you want. I <laughs> want more more definition. I want to see all the little tiny bits. But then he gets up to his wall, and the wall itself is just this massive wall that's covered in drawings and uh, little like clippings from from books and, and pictures and stuff like that.
0: We've got Napoleon. We've got the scene from the French Revolution. We've got more of the World War II imagery.
1: It's like a Panzer tank, I guess. Right.
0: Was. We've got another picture that looks like it could be the Fortress of Ultimate Darkness. Yeah. If you look clear down at the bottom, we've got the ship that becomes the hat of the ogre later. And interestingly, oh, yeah. if you look closely at that, it looks like it might be the same hat in this
1: picture, too. Oh, maybe. Yeah, it's hard to tell. That does kind of look like it might be the top of a head. A little bit of a bald head with a strap sticking out at the bottom. And b- beside that, does that kind of look like a Superman to you?
0: Oh, that's definitely Superman.
1: Yeah, it's the guy flying with a cape. And then mm-hmm. above above the ship, it almost looks like there's a really crude Robin Hood drawing there.
0: Oh, wait, wait, wait. I want to take you back. There, Duncan. Okay. Uh, I want you to go three pictures over. There's some white thing, and then there's a big circle thing with a person falling down the middle, and then four people standing next to each other. The ship under that is the one that looks like the ogre ship to me.
1: Oh, okay. Sure, sure, sure. I can Do see, see that. you see it? Yeah, like a stern almost there. Like this right. Of... That's the stern. Right.
0: And you can see the strap there? Yeah. So that's what I was talking about, but I interrupted you, so go on.
1: No, that's okay. Yeah, a little bit over. There's more of a traditional sort of woodcut ship and a bottle ship, the sort of four-masted one. So yeah, oh yeah, there's Napoleon there.
2: Yeah.
0: We've got the cowboys and horses that show up later in the movie.
2: Yeah. One thing that you guys are showing and we kind of touched on it yesterday. Everything on this wall could be storyboard impressions of the story we're about to watch. Yeah, for sure. The film that's going to unfold.
0: If you go straight above Kevin's head to a black square and then go one picture over, there's a spaceship there that looks a lot like Wally's spaceship.
1: Yeah. Definitely. You know, and one thing I wonder is, uh, did Craig Warnock, uh, the actor that plays Kevin here, did he draw any of these? You know, did he uh, did they actually have him sit down and go, hey, just draw a bunch of these, you know, spend a day drawing and then we'll actually use them in the in the film. (laughs) That would be pretty cool. If you've got if you if you've got a nine year old and they need a bunch of drawings that look like they were done by a nine year old. I mean, hey, if only we knew which Craig Warnock it was, we could ask. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's right. We still we still haven't been able to track there's two Craig Warnocks. Alan, I don't know if you know this, there's a Canadian Craig Warnock that was born in the same year, is also an actor, has been a musician, but he lives in Canada and doesn't sort of looks like what Kevin would look like were he our age. <laughs> and so, but there's another Craig Warnock that's apparently married to somebody else that lives huh. in England that is also credited as the actor that is the Craig Warnock in this film. So we're not entirely sure which Craig Warnock is the uh, is the right one.
0: Well, they just lost the password to the first account.
1: Yeah, right? <laughs> so we don't know now. we got to do some reaching out, some sleuthing, some internet detectiving. We've been on the case for two full weeks at this point.
2: I think you could make the argument that if you were to just blow this wall up on a big giant poster board, if you could get the high def quality... I think every major moment, character, scene, even visual, uh, visual is on this wall of what's coming in the movie, for sure.
0: A lot of it. Well, you have to expand that out to his room because later on in the Fortress of Ultimate Darkness, there are a lot of pieces that look like Legos. Yeah, yeah. And You've got those laying all over the room. It isn't just the photos.
2: Sorry, I didn't mean to say that this was the only place, but that you would make the argument that everything on at least this wall, everything ends up being in the film. There's, There's more stuff in the room, yes, but I'm not sure that there's anything on the wall that's not put here intentionally to be a Easter egg of what's coming later. Yeah, definitely.
0: And that's the thing. This movie was a lot longer, or they planned for it to be a lot longer. There were a lot more scenes that were going to be coming. Well, two big ones for sure. The scene from the future, the one that takes place in the future, and then remind me of the other one.
1: There was a there was a bank robbery in the future. They needed money, so they go to like you know the year two thousand or, or I think it was like two, 2037 or something, and then they uh, they rob a bank, but that was too expensive. That's where
0: they pick up the spaceship.
1: That's where the spaceship yeah would be would uh, would return from. And then there was an alternate kind of universe where there were three women that were spinning webs. Kind of like the three fates. Oh, no, it was two old women and they were spinning webs. So there was this giant, almost world of webbing. Scary, 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 spidery webbing. And then if you go through one, one specific little tunnel, there's two old ladies and they're in rocking chairs. And it's like they're knitting, only what they're knitting is webbing. And so they're kind of scary and dangerous, but they escape from that sequence unscathed. But both of those sequences were like, well, that's way too expensive. So, nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's not like they were shot and cut. I just don't think they ever got to the uh, to the shooting part. I think they just decided, well, this can't be done.
0: I'm always looking for clues about the web world. And I think directly in front of Kevin, if you take the picture that we're all going to talk about pretty soon and just go diagonal down to the right from it, there's something to me that suggests something in the middle of a web.
1: Or falling down a well. or It's it's hard to tell. There's a circle with a figure in the yeah. middle. And... Yeah.
2: Right. It, it, you could see if you want to see it as webbing, you could. I yeah. saw it as uh, disappearing down one of the wormholes, yeah. the tunnels going away, you know. Mm-hmm. But either way, for folks, that, and I, what I love is we can do this today. There's no way Terry Gilliam ever thought that they're going to slow the movie down, take <laughs> frames of a movie down. And so it was like his, I think, joke. Look at all the stuff I'm going to put on this wall for people who might have caught a glimpse of something here or there on rewatching. I'm pretty sure nobody when this movie came out thought that with the digital technology we have, let alone a podcast, that you would have so much right here before our eyes. Yeah. The fact that we can go back and look at it now just shows how fun it must have been to be kind of planning this movie from art to the, 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 the direction, the storytelling, everything Terry Gilliam was trying to accomplish yeah. in this
1: movie. One thing that this movie really has going for it is mad detail. Just like so much detail in so many of the scenes. That's
0: every Terry Gilliam movie.
1: It's every Terry Gilliam movie. And I appreciate it because, Alan, it's like you said, there this, these weren't made at a time when people would meticulously go over it. This was like the second time you watched it, you would might notice a handful of these things and go, oh, some of this stuff seems to pertain to stuff that happened later in the film. Mm-hmm, well, it, well exactly. it's gone. But, oh, that's cool. You know, like you could rewatch it. and maybe be positive if it's on a videotape. But And honestly, I don't know if there's anyone else on Earth who's watched this movie
0: as many times as I have. Yeah. Maybe Terry Gilliam's editor. I'm not incestoring. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought. But I've never thought about <laughs> it. I've always acknowledged that probably everything in this room, you know, foreshadows something that's going to happen in the movie. And I've always said to myself that someday I should slow this thing down and look at it and kind of examine
1: everything in the room
0: and and here we are making a movies by minute about it
1: yeah yeah when he walks past his bedside table there's another little uh larger kind of D D figurine kind of thing there except it like a little army man like a little might be a little napoleonic army figure or something like that that's just something else that i noticed so, I mean, he's a very interested kid this kid is interested in a ton of stuff which is awesome you know he seems his his uh he just seems to love so many different aspects of history. He doesn't really focus on one thing. He's just like I want to take out all the books on everything to do with I don't know Egypt, England, World War II, you know mm-hmm. Meso- Meso- Mesopotamia.
0: He's you moving know. on from one thing to the next constantly.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: it's pretty cool. You can dig down through the layers. Of photos and stuff and there was a time when he was extremely interested in Cowboys. There was a time when he was extremely interested in Superman. And right now, he's into Greek Warriors. He's into Greek Warriors. That's that's today's.
2: Maybe you guys said this but just kind of going back to the very start of the minute when he kind of clicks the light on and he sits up in bed and he kind of stares over at the wall and he's kind of got uh, just a half second before he pulls the covers back. The ship that's behind his head it almost looks like he's wearing the ship on his head. Do you notice that? Almost like what we're gonna get later. I don't know maybe accidental framing in this case, but there is a oh. a picture of a of, of a masted ship with water. Dude. But as he's sitting there for just a second, his head is just perfectly underneath it. Oh my god. To gosh. look like it's right pursed on his head. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It looks he's
1: he's wearing it as a hat for a good second there. That's funny. That's awesome. Good catch, man. Good catch. I'm going to go with not an accident. This room seems to be about the rest of the movie. Yeah, that seems to be pretty, I don't know. I mean, it does happen for a while. It's not that brief. He keeps his head there for a little bit. So that that could be intentional. That's wonderful. Nice find. And it
0: is the same kind of ship.
1: So Kevin uh, walks up to the wall here, and he touches the wall like he's pressing it. Like, is it real? You know, he's making sure that it's solid. <laughs> like, this is this. There this, were this,
2: trees <laughs> here just a second ago. <laughs> <laughs>
1: A hologram, and then he. Uh, but then that's when he finds uh, a drawing of a knight on horseback, very similar to the one that he saw. Not exactly the same, but very similar. And uh, it's cut out and taped to a photograph of the exact same patch of forest. Like that is like a shot from the location. And it's a it's a photograph, but he's taped the taped the knight to it. This knight seems to be more orange and yellow and blue instead of white and green. And he's carrying a lance instead of a sword. And he doesn't have the giant stag on top of his helmet. But very, very similar. So, He's got the same armor that is in the comic. Yeah, he's got the same same helmet. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah, he's got the same armor that's in the comic. So. Oh, I wonder if that's from the comic. <laughs> Let me see here. It's not. No, it's no. not.
0: But I'm sure no. this is how they ended up with this armor in the comic.
1: Yeah. And I love Kevin's uh, facial acting here because you really, you really see him trying to do the math, but again, without any lines, he's looking at it. Like, did I, did I make this and forget? Did the night turn into this? Like what, what is, what is going on? Is, was this created by the night leaving my room or did I make this? And that was a dream. Like, (laughs) I love him trying to do the, trying to do the math.
0: Or is he just now putting this together? If he made this picture at some point in the past, and he's getting up and he's seeing this, I think the math that's going on in his head is, you know, did I just dream this? Did this really happen? Because nothing in the room is messed up anymore.
1: This is this is right. the question that I have. Did he create this? Right? Did he create this picture with the night tape to it? Or is this, to the best of his knowledge, the first time he's ever seen it? Was it somehow created by the exit of the night?
2: I can see where you you could argue either one. I think, honestly, he's just now putting pieces together of all the things that have interested him. And it just occurred to him, I've seen this before this night in my room. And then there it is. It's on the wall. Wait a minute. How can the picture that I put on my own wall come to life? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's what I think it is, too. Going back to Alan's theory from the last minute, this is a vision mixes in with him attaching the vision to something real. And now we have this picture.
1: Yeah, for sure. Mm Mm-hmm mm-hmm well then the uh the dad busts in and <laughs> a point he, he just <laughs>
2: hey come. how about that hairdo
1: <laughs> <laughs> He breaks down the door there and he's like what the hell is going on up here i told you to put that light out and go to bed and no more noise and he's like panicked right like and i i understand that he's giving the impression that he literally just heard a horse uh clomp around upstairs and here we really go. This is the conversation of this minute. Yeah.
0: There's no way that he would be having this reaction to Kevin. Just sneaking out of bed, patting the wall a little bit.
1: Yeah, he he's rushed up there almost like he's worried. Like he's like... Like he
0: heard a horse crashing through the room. Did the ceiling just collapse? You know, like he's like, what the heck? <laughs> but it also took him a solid 40 seconds. It took him, since the beginning of this minute, it took him a solid 40 seconds to get from the living room... To Kevin's room from when the noise started. I mean, when that horse burst through that wardrobe, at that moment, it would have sounded like an explosion going on down in the living room. Yeah, for sure. And it took him 40 seconds to get there. So are we supposed to buy that the real noise he's reacting to is Kevin creeping across the room with the floorboards creaking? And he's just having such an asshole overreaction to that.
1: Yeah. Or did I choose to believe that there was a literal horse in the room, like, vision or not. The vision traveled downstairs acoustically, and I think that's why he's he's <laughs> charging up here, and he's very confused when he because you know as uh, you know I mean people with children can attest to this. Sometimes when they're running around upstairs, you're like, is that an entire marching band that is <laughs> like, what the heck is happening up there? Did they knock over a bookcase? Like yeah, and then you right. go upstairs and you're like, oh okay, they're they're rambunctious, but everything's under control but like if you don't know what's going on you can really be like so you know he comes upstairs going it sounds like there's a horse galloping around up there and then he comes up and he's like okay it's just Kevin up to some shenanigans few but get to bed so I, but... I really but it falls under that 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 question of like is he trying to paint the parents out to be horrible people that are borderline abusive or is okay he... but here's
2: what we're forgetting if you remember in last minute, all those rapid cuts to kind of make it look like the horse was actually in his bedroom over his bed. Kevin is sitting up, banging up against the headboard. Almost, you see, we don't hear him necessarily, but his facial expression of crying out like, what? Oh, yeah. And so he's making some kind of noise in his room at what he believes is a real thing that he's seeing. Right. Okay. So He's, he's he going through point, a lot yeah. of... Gesticulating, like a he's and moving
1: around or whatever. It would still be causing exactly. a lot of noise, yeah.
2: And especially if he's hitting the back of the headboard against the wall, it's above the the living room. It's like, but having been, you know, a parent of four daughters who <laughs> will become rambunctious at one point in time, you're right. The sound that travels, and sometimes you have to also think about. Sound gets amplified when you are irritated. <laughs> so, as a yeah. parent, what may not be destroying your house, you start saying things like, "the the the, the whole house is coming down around my ears." Stop <laughs> yeah. it! You know that's obviously not the case, but yeah. when you want it quiet, <laughs> sometimes you uh, you over exaggerate a little, and I think it's the kid had... He reacted to what he believes was a real horse in his room. He, we saw it last minute. He reacted exactly like anybody would if like, what the? And he's yeah. high, and then when he gets up, it would explain that it's not loud enough to make the dad come instantaneously, but it was enough noise that he's like, oh, dear God, why is that kid not in bed? I'm going to go, d-, you know, and he takes his time getting up there to go scold him. Yeah. Now, he wasn't, I don't think, concerned in this minute. I don't sense. I get an irritation like, I thought you were going to bed.
1: Yeah. I told you twice what the heck is going on up here. Yeah.
0: No, that works for me. It's Alan once again in with the middle ground to explain that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, that's a good read on it.
0: I think that still makes it a vision.
2: Yeah, absolutely yeah. it does, because he reacted like there was something there. Like there totally was something saw real it.
0: going on. And it was exactly the right amount of noise to make his dad react this way.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right.
0: If it had been a real horse exploding through the room, I think he would have got there faster and in a greater state of panic.
1: And this way he maybe even waited for a commercial break on the game show.
2: Exactly. Like, wait, for the, wait for the joke to finish and then I'll go up. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Where they had a little, you go up. No, you go up. No, you go up. No, you go up. Okay, I'll go up. Yeah. Waiting to see if Jumbo drowns all the way. Could
2: have very been the mom saying, oh, my, would you go up there? I don't want to go up there. You go. No, you go up. And then, yeah, you could have seen that back and forth. Who's going to go up there to scold the child? Yeah, yeah. for sure. I, I think the fact is it's not the noise of him getting up, turning on his light that brought the dad up. It's the noise of him gesticulating in the bed yeah. from the last minute.
0: This brings up something that I know Duncan really wants to talk about, and that is whether this is enough to make us hate the parents.
1: Well, this is a bigger question that I wanted to talk about because, I, Alan, I don't know how you felt about the the ending of the film. I have a feeling we're going to spend a minute talking to each guest about the ending of the film, but uh, the ending of the film horrified me as a child. when I saw, I saw it in the theaters as a child, and I took his parents to be disconnected, but benignly disconnected in the way that most parents are. That, like, of course we don't have similar interests. You know, you're 38 and I'm 9. Like, of course you're worried about taxes and bills and who's going to be voted for in the next election. And, you know, I'm worried about literal monsters coming out from under my bed. Like we, we, we exist in two different entirely, you know, separate worlds. So when parents are distant and they don't understand and they, they snap at their kids, like it, you know, it, it really doesn't matter who started the fight. I just want you all to shut up like right now. Because this has been happening for an hour. You know, like the the justice goes out the window. It's just turn off the music and go to bed. It's 10 o'clock. You know, like, so you, I sort of understood it from that point of view. Like the parents did not seem like horrible, horrible people. They seemed wrapped up in their own stuff with dishwashers and, and consumer products and middle class life in England. But I didn't think ever throughout the film that they were being needlessly cruel to Kevin or that they deserved to die. So at the end of the film, when Kevin was left an orphan for, you know, giggles, apparently, uh, I was like, what? And then the movie was over. So that really, it didn't ruin the film for me, but it was a real emotional, you know, punch in the gut. And so, but it makes me wonder if they were trying to set the parents up as, you know, quasi abusive parents so that we would hate them, so that when something bad happened to them, um, we wouldn't care. We'd either be like, yay, they got their comeuppance, or we'd be like, "Ah, so what, they're dead, who cares?
0: So Alan, by contrast, I was not horrified by the ending of this movie. I feel like I grew up in an era in where I was exposed to more downer endings, and I just took it in stride. Like, eh, his parents exploded. He's still got his dad, who's a fireman, kind of, and it did not horrify me. I just took it as this is part of what happens in fairy tales.
2: Right. I'm, I'm more on that side from when I was a kid. So going back, my innocent, you know, nearly 11-year-old brain watching this in the theater, it made total sense. He should have been with the other guy anyway, and I couldn't explain how, how King Agamemnon is now a fireman, but it didn't matter in my 11-year-old brain or almost – He was going to be adopted by this fireman. The fireman at some point was going to rescue the kid because he was always meant to be with that guy because he actually showed interest. So in my mind, I never thought of it as horrifying. I just thought of it as sort of a little funny, but the two parents who never even cared about Kevin to begin with were just kind of out of the way.
1: Nice.
0: That's pretty much my approach too. I didn't understand why the fireman was the king, but it just seemed like work.
2: Yeah, for sure. Now can I tell you, As an adult, what I think the story is, and again, this is just me looking at a film and trying to come up with my own idea without talking to Terry Gilliam, not reading anything about the making of or if there was if this was the intention. But what if this entire movie is just a recollection of an adult Kevin about how his parents died in a fire and how he as a kid tried to reconcile with the fact of the loss of his parents and the eventual adoption by one of the firemen who helped actually rescue him?
1: Dude. I don't, you know, say this lightly, but you just blew my mind. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that read on this film. You just changed the whole movie for me.
2: <laughs> well, I didn't. I. Well, okay, good. Because <laughs> I love the movie and I hate that you feel bad of, about the ending. I just think it's always been how a child kind of dealt with the passing of the parents. And now we're catching the story of this from the adult. We don't. We never meet the adult, we never hear him in therapy, whatever. <laughs> But this is his view of how he's coming to terms with the fact that he, he had kind of your typical mom and dad who were typically disconnected sometimes. But it's the story of a kid who lost his parents in a tragic fire, but was adopted by the fireman who rescued him and showed interest in him and felt bad for him and wanted to make him his own son. I love it,
1: which is why, you know, uh, King Agamemnon looks like the guy who adopted him. Yes, so that's that's who he's like, sort of assigned that identity to. Now that he's an adult, I love it. Exactly. No, I love it. I think that's fantastic. That really helps a lot. I just, <laughs> I just need a minute.
2: <laughs> now the trick is, now that I've said that, will that hold the test of the rest of the film with this kind of scrutiny? Uh, we'll but see. That's how you I've know, always looked at it. So
1: much of it is like post movie. So we'll see. We've got the soundtrack
0: telling us that it's all just a dream away. Yeah, it's only true. a dream away. He, Kevin, if what you're saying is accurate, and that's the intention, I'm just going to go with that for a second. That means this isn't Kevin having a dream and then waking up. It's adult Kevin dreaming about a time from when he was a kid and trying to deal with
1: this. Sure.
2: Or or the adult remembering how when he was a kid, this was the only way he could deal with it. That the kid created these constructs and these different things to explain how this happened and all the things that went on in his life, all these adventures, all the things on his wall, why they all came into being. But ultimately, yeah, that...
0: That changes the entire focus for me about the loss of his parents.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That is just incredible. (laughs) Well, in the same... I think it's in the same way that he was having this dream when he woke up and his house was on fire. It's like if you were listening to a certain song and then halfway through that song you're if you're listening to it in your car and then halfway through that song you were involved in a horrific car crash that took out three quarters of your family you'd have like that particular song would be burned into your head for all time right every time you heard it you'd be like oh god I, i gotta sit down and i think maybe the dream he was having when he woke up and his house was burning down uh, has been burned into his head in the same way, so that's why he can remember yeah. it in in such detail, yeah. kind of thing.
2: Yeah, for 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 actors, and I've done a a little bit of uh, a fair bit actually of theater and film, and the, uh, the technique we we call it is called sense memory, where yeah. you pick a, a sense, whether it's a particular smell that you associate with an emotion or a song, some sound some taste, whatever. Something that you can link to in your mind that says, I will forever link this particular emotion with this particular sense and it can recreate an emotional reaction that looks, well, it is real because you're suddenly transported back to that moment. And, you know, whether it's a sad moment or happy moment, sometimes when you can link certain memories with certain senses, it can evoke an actual response. And so that's very similar.
1: Yeah, for sure. I still, I still, uh, I just, I really like kevin's performance here because he does such a good job of having that sort of stunned acceptance that can happen to a child when something totally bizarre happens like they don't question their sanity they question reality (laughs) you know like they're like they're not like am i you know they're just like huh my wall's back well first of all let's test and see if the wall is immaterial you know like he just he rolls with it he's confused by it but he rolls with it and i think that's a very childlike thing Craig's performance all the way
0: through this movie just feels real. There's yeah. no time where it just feels like a child that's acting. It comes off as something that's just happening to a child
1: and we're just watching it. And that's what's, yeah, that's what's so transportive about it. I think I said in the last minute is he's not like a, a Hollywood child actor. He's not like, you know, overly quaffed and, uh, and, and quippy, you know, he's just a kid. He's just a kid. So when I was watching the movie, of a similar age to him i was like oh there's there's a fellow child going through uh through an yeah. adventure i didn't feel locked yeah. out of the movie because it was a strange depiction an adult weird hollywood depiction of what a child should be like you know in home alone or something like that like this was like an actual kid that was just uh could have been a pal of mine going through like, a, a bizarre adventure so it was it was wonderful
2: I said yesterday um, when I saw it, I imagined I was that kid because I could think and felt the same way. And I still had that sense that there was magic and magical things can happen. You know, you're still you're at the cusp of the whole Santa, Easter Bunny, all the stuff that, you know, are part of the being a kid and believing in fairy tales and dogs talk and things like that. I mean, everything in a kid is it's magical. And I think he's still in that area where he believes in that. So it's yeah. not like you said he's not questioning his sanity he's like did something magical just happen like how, i I'm still like in awe of it yeah. but it's not maddening it's magical mm-hmm.
0: as a viewer of the movie as a kid when this movie came out it transports you back to a time when you did believe in Santa Claus it made magic seem real again yeah definitely
1: yeah and i'd say it's uh it's the same with Brazil and Munchausen i think he the subject that Tara Gilliam really brings to the table is you, you do get transported.
2: And by the way, I was going to say this last minute about the, the image of the knight and the image of the horse and everything. But when you think about, um, the, the Fisher King, yeah, that would become a much later oh, yeah. Yeah. adult version of how does an adult deal with tragedy? Sure. You look at very similar kind of themes and film and techniques and storytelling yeah. between this film and the Fisher King.
1: Yeah, Definitely. That's
0: Terry Gilliam a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, uh, it seems like when uh, when I uh, just want to touch briefly on the when the father's poking his head in the door saying, you know, and no more noise. There's a uh, looks like a paper a paper doll, the kind of paper doll that you dress yourself behind him. You know, you put on you put paper shorts and dresses on the paper doll kind of thing. It looks like there's one of those hanging on the wall there, but I can't quite mm-hmm. make out what he's wearing on, he's got one arm and both his legs dressed in some blue and yellow, colorful, say like Bermuda, Bermuda Bermudish shorts and some leggings or something like that. Maybe some knee pads. Yeah. Something like that. There's something going on. I don't know what that is. Cause I don't, I don't really see that happening later. Oh, maybe when Michael Palin gets stripped down and tied to a tree, <laughs> I guess that's kind of like that. But that's all. But then we cut to the next day and uh, mom is making a pink milkshake. And it looks like they've got a few food processors up on the shelf in there. The mom's wearing a jaunty pink neckerchief and a pink dress and a cape. And uh, the father has his nose in what looks like a car catalog. And I I think I straight up had Kevin's sweater in this shot. I think I literally had this sweater. (laughs) Because this this sweater is like, this might have been what I wore to the theater to watch this movie when I was 11, you know. And I love these. One uh, of the
2: things I thought. Wardrobe wise, that I think is really cool about when we're in the mundane world, it feels like the people bought their costumes from like the Sears and Robux or Hudsons right. or, you know, the 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 typical middle class, low to middle class kind of family lifestyle. It feels like that. It doesn't feel Hollywood. Yeah. Well, yeah, like sure.
0: Duncan said, we probably all had this sweater or something very similar to it, and it's what we wore mm-hmm. to church on Sundays. It's the thing we would have to wear.
1: Yeah. Sorry, I love the cups on the counter as well with the brown and the caramel piping. Just to talk about like the whole kitchen on as a whole that that kind of garish wallpaper um and but it's like orange with a pattern on it and you've got this brown caramel piping on the coffee cups. Like a lot of the stuff in this kitchen screams 70s. It's just like this is so 70s, but it's a it's a, you know, a film that's really you know it's in the early 80s so i just thought it's also a good example of how a lot of style can overlap into you know a few years but it makes the sense because
2: decade. it makes sense because these these people didn't just buy their house today to tell us the movie they would have been in this house to have the child who's probably grown up in this house
1: yeah for sure yeah you don't buy new a new plate set every year right as a calendar I do like so the choice you can't make out what the date is on the calendar no, there's a sa- is that a sailboat? Does that look like a sailboat to you on the calendar? Yeah,
2: totally. Yeah. Um I was going to say directing choice. I think this is interesting that <clears throat> we're not seeing a family from a, th- a um kind of a more of a three-dimensional <clears throat> excuse me, a three-dimensional angle. We're coming straight on, which makes them look very flat and two-dimensional. Yeah. And they're eating like at a bar. <laughs> yeah. Next to each other. And they're not even at a table where they can look at each other. They're all kind of on a straight line as if they're not connected like they don't they're not making eye contact with each other when they're sitting there eating they're all just look staring straight out at the other room
0: yeah where the TV is
2: yeah and to me it's a very stark very disconnected look definitely there's no there's no warmth this this is not a warm family picture no. this is not a sense of a loving caring household this is very stark not not a, not an abusive i've never thought of it as abusive but yeah. just distant very cold
0: it's funny to me i i don't know what i felt when I was watching this in the 80s, but watching it now, (laughs) it definitely just reminds me of the way families are now. Everybody's just into their own thing, not paying attention to each other. You know, just like now, there's the big TV going in the background and, you know, we all are on our phones, but in this movie that translates into he's got his papers, she's got her catalogs, Kevin is in the back with his book, nobody's paying attention to each other Nobody's interacting with each other. Nobody's looking at each other. They're just all doing their own things. And I don't know if Gilliam is predicting a dire future or because I was a kid and didn't know any better, Gilliam was just
2: depicting how families have always been. I would say having, again, brought up girls today and and seeing the the advent of the smartphone and everything, but being around prior to that, there's always been distractions because there's always been – You hear people all the time, you know, family time's important. Dinner should be the one time we all get together and talk, turn the radio off, turn the TV off, but yet we still... So whatever the distraction is, I think humanity repeats itself. We always have something distracting us because we always have people saying, you've got to turn off the distractions. Who knows what it is in 20 years from now, whatever it'll be. But I do think that this is a typical kind of phenomenon that just shows that sometimes a dad wants to retreat, a mom wants to retreat, kids want to be away from the table. I just think at the time, this is exactly how it would be portrayed. Yeah. If they remade the movie, we talked about that yesterday, it would be tablets and smartphone or smartwatch, but it's the same dynamic.
1: Yeah, for sure. What was that? I remember I saw a picture of a bunch of passengers in a passenger rail car from like you know, whatever, 1790 or or 18, 1880 or something like that. And every one of them, every single passenger had a long open newspaper in front of their face as they were reading the news. And uh, the caption was something like, you know, oh, the modern printing press is ruining our ability to connect to each other as human beings. You know, like it's we're all off in our own little worlds, distracted by the newspaper. And I was like, you know, I definitely get a similar kind of same as it ever was. Uh, kind of vibe from that like it's uh, you need to connect consciously because you do want to you do want to retreat sometimes into just you know reading your own reading your book or being on your phone or whatever but yeah I concur Mm -hmm. if it was made today they'd all be on on their smartphones
0: are we all convinced this is breakfast
1: no this is this is a really important point this is something that I want to talk a little bit about in the next minute but this is dinner
2: yeah I think Because it was night the previous thing, and we come right back, it feels like morning. And it's also we'll find out it's not. That really
1: looks like the sunlight busting in through the kitchen window there. That this really looks like a morning. A morning. I
2: think it's meant to be that kind of a jarring thing, almost where the audience wants to make it look like it's breakfast, but it's not.
0: So you think this is not breakfast? This is dinner.
2: No, they're having TV dinners, they
1: got the foil plates there, they're they're just having dinner, and then huh. he's about yep. to go to bed, and it doesn't look like it at all. It looks like it's first thing in the morning, like they're having... Uh...
0: You know, it feels to me, like for 40 years I've thought of this as breakfast, <laughs> and then there's that hard cut where they then are in their living room later on, yeah. and that feels like they just... Cut past the day until after supper, sometime.
1: Yeah, like I kind of just in my head, it's kind of a slippery concept because he says, "I want to go to bed right now," and they're like, "Well, you can't." And then it cuts to them later on watching right. TV at what is obviously right. night. Yeah. But like,
0: no, yeah, you're right. Why would he want to go to bed right away at breakfast? That's true.
1: Yeah, so he's not going to go to bed at ten in the morning, and you know, and and then have his adventure. So I think the, the, this is 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 it's clearly it's like spelled out that this is dinner in uh in the in the novel and stuff but the lighting here to me that is pure midday sunshine coming in through the uh through the curtains there so i'm not sure what's throwing that light or what the idea was behind that that light there
0: If that light just doesn't seem warm enough to be sunset light to me
1: no not sunset at all no that's like that's noon that's lunchtime light so i don't know what that's about but just to be clear it's supposed to be dinner even though it looks exactly right. like breakfast for sure because i thought it was breakfast for a long time too i thought it was breakfast until doing this as a matter of fact and then i'm like oh wait a second this is supposed to be dinner i didn't even notice the foil plates like they've got plates and then foil plates which i think is pretty hilarious so she's obviously warmed them all up some some kind and of,
2: by the way I'll, I'll give a sneak peek for next next minute i don't even think there's anything in those plates doesn't
1: look like it it doesn't look
2: like it. <laughs> Just even the way the mom will try to approach grabbing, but will never actually see food.
1: No. I love, yeah, and also this is, so the mom in this one is talking about how the neighbors, thermostat, toaster, spreader, and slicer have all broken down. And then the father says, well, they should have bought German. That's their little <laughs> lot, their little back and forth there. <laughs> and the kitchen's like bleeping and blooping, and Kevin's trying to get his uh, at the attention of his parents And this is, again, I think another great depiction of how adults worry about very different things than than kids worry about.
2: Yeah. It's going to be ironic, though, that isn't it an appliance in their house that actually causes the fire?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
2: Those dang Germans always messing with the British.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's the toaster oven.
1: How many blenders does one family need? Like, this is a blender-centric house. My gosh, there's lots of blenders up there.
0: So many blenders.
1: And a coffee maker. I think that's a coffee maker and a blender, and yeah, lots. Of, and then, uh, and
0: later on, when the meat slicer here in a couple of seconds goes crazy, oh, that's, that's the, next, the next minute. That's the next minute. Yeah, I so, think we'll
2: have to keep an eye for the next minute. But I think what we're seeing is a family who's got a lot of the modern day appliances, whether or not they really use them all. Because there's a mixing bowl that you see behind them that you would yeah. use for mixing baking. I don't know how much baking mom does. You see behind her over her shoulder what looks like an electric knife that you yeah. use for carving things. So, very much into gadgets, very much into which would have been at that time of the the the, the development of the 70s into the 80s, you know, everything being a gadget, everything being cool yeah. and plug in. And so it's it's t- I think this is actually a cool snapshot of that time.
1: Yeah, for sure. This is a family that's trying to stay cutting edge, so they have all the latest stuff.
2: Yes. Whether they use it,
0: pfft, Think about this house, guys. You've got this kitchen in this living room with a bar between them. hmm And they're both so tiny. As they sit at the bar, they don't have a dining room. No. They're just both sitting at this bar, like shoulder to shoulder, hunched up against each other. They're crammed in there. And on this bar is their dish drying thing. And just right behind them on a tiny counter are all of these appliances stacked up, some Sort of food dispenser behind her to our left.
1: Yeah. Spice rack or something.
0: We've just got all of this stuff crammed in. Their life is just so uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, it's cluttered. It's definitely cozy. They don't live in There's a big no place. There's no place
0: for anyone to get away from each other.
1: Well, I guess that's, yeah.
0: There's no space to just have a space for yourself. I would guess that this dad... Yeah. Well,
1: except for Kevin's room.
0: ...moves between the bedroom and his favorite chair... And the kitchen counter,
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: that's all. That's and everywhere they're... he goes. He doesn't have any hobbies. He just likes to read the exchange motor yeah.
1: mark paper or his catalog. I think the only difference between his like forty fifth birthday and his fifty fifth birthday is that Kevin got a little taller, right? I think his uh, he lives in a, a very a very predictable cycle along with his wife. There, as do I imagine a lot of you know most most parents. But they're just buying stuff, keeping busy.
0: And their entire life is just looking for the next thing to buy.
1: And competing with the neighbors, it seems like, too. There's a, there's a through line of that. They're always like, Barbara next door has one of these. You know, There's, there's all sorts of, you know, the, the, the two scenes with them in the beginning here. There's, there's talk about what the neighbors have and how it's not as good as theirs, you know.
0: And the mom is talking mm-hmm. about the spreader and the slicer and the toaster all being gone. Dad is misinterpreting that as, oh, that's too bad. They should have bought German. But she's saying it to try to get him to acknowledge that their stuff is better. Like, we haven't lost ours.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting how that goes. But the point if the point is made that they're they're very wrapped up in uh, competing with the neighbors and buying stuff, keeping up with the Joneses, as they say.
0: I'm also wondering, uh, behind Dad's head there, is that the oven where the Sunday joint catches fire?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. Well, I don't know if that's where the Sunday joint catches fire, but I think the Sunday joint uh is in a more portable kind of I think that one it might be behind Kevin there.
0: Okay, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Toaster oven.
1: Yeah, toaster oven or a microwave or yeah, toaster oven. This in so in terms of the script yeah, the the, and the microwave comic and the novel, or whatever is right behind uh, in the novel him. it yeah. does yeah, it really mentions that the next scene is happening yeah. the next night. So it's very much lit-like morning, but it's supposed to be at night. Script. Yeah, okay, no worries. I just want to talk uh, the script pretty much exactly as is. In the comic, the father's a little meaner. He's saying, look at all this stuff on the floor. Tidy this room up tomorrow. It's a disgrace. And he actually throws some of Kevin's drawings in the garbage. So I think if there was more of this in the film, I think I'd mind a little less about the editing if there was more like his parents are absolute bastards to him. But... uh, (laughs) I get that.
0: (laughs) I was wondering about that too. The fact that the room is all messed up, but it's not destroyed, like a horse just ran through it.
1: Well, he yeah, he's just got a messy room. I think is the is the deal. And then it, uh, as he's saying, you know, if he he wants to go to bed early, this dinner scene isn't really happening in the comic. It's the parents that are zoning out on your money or your life again. But they've got this ghoulish, bottom lit expressions on their staring faces, like they're telling ghost stories at a campfire or something.
0: Oh, and dead, dead demon eyes all the way through.
1: Yeah, yeah. They go a bit harder in the comic on that. Yeah.
0: Kevin's got good eyes, so we know that they can draw them, but the parents just have these dead demons.
1: The Time Bandits Minute is a fan project hosted by Curtis Blaze and Duncan Shields.
0: The movie Time Bandits was created by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin and is presented by Handmade Films.
1: The novel Time Bandits was written by Charles Alverson and is based on a screenplay by Michael Palin and Terry Gilliam. It was published by Severn House Publishing.
0: The comic book adaptation Time Bandits was created by the team at Marvel Comics and published by Stan Lee.
1: The screenplay Time Bandits movie script was written by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin. It was published by Doubleday Dolphin Books.
0: You can find more of us at TimeBanditsMinute.com or text us at 712-830-7373. You can also find us on Facebook at Time Bandits Minute, the podcast.
1: Thank you to the Star Wars Minute guys for graciously allowing us to steal the format.
0: If you would like to listen to other Movies by Minutes podcasts, check out MoviesByMinutes.com join us for minute six where you'll hear mom and dad say well you must eat your food and then wait for it to go down